Brothers, good afternoon and welcome to St. Philip's Church. I'm Andrew O'Dell. I serve as a senior associate here at St. Philip's and we want to say a special welcome to those of you who are coming from um, outside the community, coming, coming in to be part of this monthly gathering. One of the great privileges that we have is, is hosting this gathering for um, not just for St. Philip's, but for the whole community, Lord, that we, that we can come together as brothers, be encouraged by one another, gather around the table, and not only to catch up on what's going on, but also to encourage each other. And I know you all are going to be encouraged by today's speaker. Hudson Dodds graduated from Portugal School in 2006, and we kind of crossed paths there. Um, I, I taught a little bit at Portugal, but, but really I didn't get to know Hudson until a little bit later. But after graduating from Porter, Hudson went to the College of Charleston and played on the nationally ranked um, baseball team where he was the captain in his senior year. And Hudson met two very important people at Portugal. First, he met his beautiful wife, Chandler, but secondly, he met our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's where he came to know the Lord. After graduating from Porter, uh, Hudson and Chandler worked together with Campus Crusade there in, um, at, Charleston, at, at uh, College of Charleston and served in that ministry, excuse me, Campus Outreach in that ministry. And um, Hudson was, um, I don't know if it was brave or crazy or inspired, but took a group of college students, 12 students, to India for three months where they had a mission going from town to town, speaking of Christ to college students and um, sharing the good news and learning a little bit of Hindi along the way. So I, I don't know about you all, but I find that incredibly amazing, just amazing that he would do that. So Hudson returned to Portugal in 2011, where he served as the chaplain, and that's where really our paths cross, because Hudson served as the chaplain for my two children as we were re-entering Charleston, having been away for about 10 years. And so I am incredibly blessed that my children were spiritually nurtured by Hudson in those years, that he pastored them, nurtured them through Bible studies, through um, teaching classes on Old Testament and New Testament um, there in their time in the middle school. But as my children transitioned to the upper school, I, I think it was just a coincidence, um, Hudson uh, hung up his spurs as chaplain and moved on to be the director of alumni relations there at Porter Gowd School, where he serves in that capacity today. Now, during his time at Porter, Hudson received his master's degree from um, Master of Arts in Education and Leadership and Administration from George Washington University. So quite an accomplishment, um, a brother who is not sitting on his laurels but using the gifts that God has given him. Hudson and Chandler have two precious children, six-year-old Hudson Jr. and four-year-old Georgiana, and they are active members of East Cooper Baptist Church known affectionately as ECBC. So join me in welcoming Hudson today. Am I on? Can you hear me? Is this good? Well, um, I'm excited to be here. It's good to be uh, in front of so many men uh, to speak today. So two weeks ago, uh, I was putting my, my daughter to bed. As uh, Andrew mentioned, she's almost five. Her name is Georgiana, and um, she is full of lots of energy. Uh, personality and um, she is a very rainbows and butterflies kind of child and sometimes she does not want me to leave the the room and she kept on saying daddy daddy don't go don't ever leave me don't ever leave me and it's one of those times where sometimes I tend to uh, torture myself I said I will I, of course I'm not going anywhere I'm gonna be here for a very long time until I die and then of course I won't be here 
That's, I don't know why, but I tend to say things like that to them, to my children. Um, and a part of it is this idea where I want them to always tell me the truth. And I, I realize now I didn't have to actually say that bit, but I, I, it just kind of came out. And so then she said, well, what happens when you die? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's bedtime. This is a long conversation. So I said, well, um, I'll be in heaven, and then when you die, hopefully you'll be in heaven as well. And she said, well, how do you get to heaven? I'm like, oh my gosh, where are we going? Um, so I said, you know, well, if you believe that Jesus is your Lord, and um, you believe that he died on the cross for sins, then you'll be in heaven. She said, well, what's a sin? I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is really not ending. I can't just end this. So... You know, it continued and continued and continued, but it was one of those moments I had to remember that this is the precious moments I have with her. This is a chance to share this with her, um, like someone did with me, which I'll get into uh, momentarily. But um, she's a joy. My family's a joy. As Andrew mentioned, I have two uh, wonderful children. My son is six, and he is in his first grade at Port Regaud. My wife is Chandler, and she uh, is the director of the Mount Pleasant O'Quinn Schools of Porter Goud, um, which is our uh, kindergarten. So um, today I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, a story in Genesis that I love. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And um, then I'm going to tell you three stories in my life and how that pertains, how, how Genesis, the story of Genesis, um, I think, relates to it. And hopefully you will take some... Um, encouragement from it. So in, in, in Genesis, there's a story about Joseph, and I think most people, if not everyone here, knows the story of Joseph. And I really, really enjoy the story of Joseph because it gives us a wonderful insight into God's providence and an insight into how he is um, overseeing, and not just overseeing us and overseeing the earth and how it happens. He didn't spin into existence and say, go forth and hopefully everything works out well, but how his hands were completely over all the things that were happening. So if you're familiar, Joseph, born of 12 boys, um, loved most by his father um, because he loved his, his it was, he was the firstborn of his most favorite wife and therefore uh, loved Joseph the most. And that is where all the problems began for Joseph. Um, it's a wonderful story of betrayal, of deceit, of forgiveness, and of love. Um, Joseph, of course, is sold into slavery by his brothers because they hated him. And then, of course, while he was in slavery, he did so well with his master and worked hard and then betrayed by his master's wife. And then, while in prison, did a great job, did everything right, and then was forgotten again while he was there giving um, some help to the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And it wasn't until he finally got in front of Pharaoh face to face where we begin to see God's plan slowly come together. And we see there, of course, that um, Joseph went through all of that hardship, all of that trouble, all of the deceit, all of the lies, all of the betrayal, because he then had a chance to not only save Egypt from drought or from starvation, but save the Middle East, essentially, save his family that we know later on becomes the 12 tribes of Israel, which becomes God's children. And so we see out of this desperation of really terrible circumstances, God using that not just for Joseph, um, but 
for everyone and for really all mankind after that. And there's two phrases in there that I really, really love. Um, one of which is, if I can pull this up really fast. Over and over again in the story, it says that uh, the Lord was with him. And I love that because if you were to be at the end of the story, or if you were, to, if you were to, take, to take a snapshot of any of these circumstances where he was sold into slavery by his brothers, or where he was betrayed by uh, his master's wife, or where he was forgotten in prison, if you took just a snapshot, you would say, God's not with him. He's doing all the right things. He kept on saying he had faith in God. He had faith in God. He kept on doing the right things, and yet he was forgotten, betrayed. But when we read, well, God was with him, we're like, how in the world was God with him here? This makes no sense. And then when we get to the very end, we see what he's doing. And it really isn't until the very, very end that we see how all of that comes together, and not even for Joseph, but it comes together for everyone. And it really comes together for God's glory. We said through all of the deceit, all of the negative things, the good things end up giving God back his glory. And so I want to tell you three stories in my life and how this kind of, kind of came together. Um, well, really four. The first one's my testimony, kind of how I came to know God. So I grew up here in Charleston, and uh, I went to Porter Goud. And as I was growing through lower school, my mom took my whole family to St. Michael's. Um, and we grew up going there, and my brother was confirmed in the church. And then around middle school, my grandfather died. My mom's father died. And my mom kind of got, I would say, angry at God for what happened. It was a long, drawn-out time for him. It was not a great great time for us as a family, and we stopped going to church, and I couldn't drive, and so we didn't go to church. I didn't go to church. In high school, my mom was very concerned that it wasn't confirmed, and to me, confirmed was something that when you became a certain age, you joined the church, and you were confirmed because that's what you do at a certain age in your life, right? Like, you turn 15, you get your driver's permit, you turn 16, you drive, and you're confirmed. It all happens, these are just things in life. And then you turn 18 and you graduate, and to me, that's what it was. So she really felt that I need to be confirmed in a church. So I was confirmed at the um, French Unite Church, right, almost next door. And I started going to church there every Sunday. So the ironic thing is, is that it was usually after or while I was hung over from the night before. Um, growing up in my time with my friends uh, in high school, there were, there were certain things that I was, that I sought after. Um, I sought after being loved by people. I desperately wanted people to love me. And the way that I thought you could find love from people, being approved of by people, was partying, being good at sports, and uh, having, a, in my opinion, having a girlfriend. And so I sought to have all of those at all times in high school. And so I threw my whole life into sports, I threw my whole life into my girlfriend, and I threw my whole life into partying. And um, through all of this time, um, I, I, I grew further and further away from happiness and more into um, kind of feeling alone. I always had people around me, and I always had sports going on, um, but I didn't really know how alone I was until I got to college. So. Um, I get to college, and I am, I've reached my goal in playing Division I sports, and when I get there, I realize that everyone here was their best in high school. 
Um, in fact, they were better than me. And so I no longer could find my joy in sports because people weren't praising me for how good I was. I was no longer the best. I was just, I was a freshman. And at that, I was just fine. Um, and I, I remember specifically sitting in my uh, room my freshman year and laying in bed thinking how miserable I was. I was partying with all these people in the evening. I was playing baseball with another group of people. And in between, I really had no friends. So the, I had no satisfaction from the friend groups. I had no satisfaction from sports. And my girlfriend was a senior at Bishop England, so I never saw her. So I, all of a sudden, the things that brought me joy, or I thought joy, happiness, were gone. And I realized how alone I really felt. Um, but on the outside, it seemed as if I had everything going on for me. And it so happens that the guy who had the locker next to me in college was named Ali Marmel. Ali Marmel currently is a, a bench coach for the Cardinals, really great guy. Um, and he became a really one of my best friends forever. Um, but one Sunday, Ali came into the locker room dressed like I am, without the tie. Um, and I said, what are you, why are you so dressed up? He said, oh, I just got back from church. I said, oh, great, that's great. And he said, do you go to church? And I was kind of like, well, I, you know, I did in high school. I don't right now. He's like, oh, okay. Well, do you want to go to church with me next, next Sunday? And I was like, this guy is really cool. Everyone likes him. He's one of the best players on the team. Yes. So <laughs> we go to church. And um, I remember asking him, I was like, well, where are you going to church? He's like, East Cooper Baptist. And my mom always growing up told me the Baptists were crazy. So in my mind, <laughs> even though he's crazy, I'm going I'm to accept that because I'm going to be hanging out with the cool guy. So we go to East Cooper Baptist. On the way home, I, we were pulling into Wendy's, and he says, so are you a Christian? And I, I was kind of like um, offended. Like, well, of course I'm a Christian. We just went to church. Obviously, I'm a Christian. Um, I'm like, are you a Christian? And he's like, well, yeah, when I was a senior, my brother told me what it meant um, to follow Christ. And it was a phrase that I hadn't really heard, or if I had, I I don't remember. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And he said, I can't tell you. I'm like, okay, that's weird. So we go home, and uh, he drops me off, and I remember thinking, like, all right, things things are good, things are great. And he texts me the next day, and he says, hey, uh, do you want to grab lunch at Brugger's, which used to be on King Street, which is like a block from my house, or grab lunch at Brugger's? I'm like, this is even better. This is great. Things are working out. So I show up, and he has his bagel and a Bible on the table. And I sit down, and he's like, hey, do you still want to know what it means to follow Christ? And I'm like, sure. He's like, well, how do you, how do you think you get, to, get into heaven? And I remember sitting there thinking, I have no idea. I have never in my life thought about how you get into heaven. It just was one of those things where you just don't know. You just do. And I said, uh, I don't know. He's like, what do you think? It's like a big scoreboard. Like, you know, if you've done it right enough on one side and not on the other, then you go to heaven. In my mind, I'm like, I feel like I'm pretty good. So that works out for me. Yeah. And he's like, all right. So then he writes out uh, Romans 6:23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he circles a bunch of words, and we kind of go through it. And at the end, he, he basically had me define what a wage is, something we earn. Sin, which is something we do against God. The wage of sin is death. Death being 
physical end, immortal, so hell. Um, this is death. But the gift being something you can't earn, so we define gift as something you can't earn. God being perfection is eternal life, heaven. And so he said, so the first part says, you earn hell by your sins. And I was like, uh-huh. He's like, well, have you sinned? I'm like, yes. He's like, well, that's not looking that good for you, is it? I'm like, now that you show me in the Bible, it is not looking good for me. Uh, he says, but, and he always said this joke. He thought it was hilarious. It's not. He said, but this is the biggest but in the Bible. And he circled it. He says, but through the gift, so through the something you can't earn, of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And we, and we talked about, well, what is Christ Jesus then? Who is Jesus? And um, it was at the moment where he told me something that I, I'd heard my whole life, but never made any sense to me, which was, why Jesus died on the cross. I had heard my whole life through Easter and everything that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That meant, it was like a saying. It was like for the home of the brave. It just meant nothing to me. It was something that we said. But he said that through Christ's death on the cross, that allows me into heaven. All of my sins were then poured onto him, and now they are not, that they're forgiven completely. My past sins, my present sins, and my future sins are completely forgiven based not on anything that I've done. In fact, all the things I'm doing is earning me hell. But through what Christ did, now I can go to heaven if that's my belief. And I remember thinking, this actually makes sense. This makes sense. That's why Christ would die. Otherwise, why would, why would he do that? So I left there kind of with this renewed excitement. Um, and we got back to my house, and he says, well, do you want to pray? And I'm like, you're crazy. There's no way I'm praying on King Street. Like, no way. No. Like, you can pray. So he prays for me, and I get back in my, my house, and I sit on my couch, and I'm just kind of sitting there. And he shoots me a text message and says, I want you to pray out loud. I want God to hear your voice. And so then I started praying, and I swear I started saying things that I now I would call as like Christianese, you know, but back then I had never heard. I remember praying for the Holy Spirit to come into me um, and to change my desires. And it was, it was, not everyone has this kind of story, but it was as if immediately the Holy Spirit came directly into me and my desires were, were changed. I had no more desire to go party. I had no more desire to seek affection through my sports. I had no more desire to be with my girlfriend in a way that would give me satisfaction. It was immediate. And then through there, he taught me what it meant to be someone who followed God. He taught me how to read the Bible. He taught me how to pray for others. He taught me what it meant to be someone who followed Christ and was a long journey together. Um, so that's kind of how I came to know Christ, I would say. That's how, that's how I became a Christian. And then the, the three stories that play into this Genesis piece, um, the first one is my baseball story. So growing up, like I said, I loved baseball. I, my goal was to be a Division I athlete. I loved baseball, I loved football. I know you're wondering how I did not become a football player with my extreme height, but I learned quickly that was not meant to be for me, although I loved it. Uh, my sophomore year, I intercepted a pass at Puerto Rigal, ran it back, was running it back, got tackled and separated my shoulder and subsequently tore my labrum in my throwing arm. Um, I had surgery that winter, um, and at that time, I was getting talked to from Clemson um, and Carolina. And those were my two schools that were like in 
state, but very good, that I would love to go to. And so many decisions to not play football anymore. I missed my whole spring semester, semester of baseball uh, in the field. The following year, um, my arm still wasn't right. I go back in, and they found out that I had something called a loose joint, which is the capsule that goes around your ball and socket is loose, and so the ball sits forward and pulls all your rotator cuff and all. Doesn't feel good. So they shrink it, um, and then I missed that whole semester again in the field, pretty much. Um, so after that conversation where I was getting talked to by some bigger schools like Georgia and Virginia as well, they were all off the table. Now I was getting recruited by Citadel, Kyle Charleston, Winthrop, Wofford, some other small D2 schools. So I ended up coming to the Kyle Charleston, and um, it was one of those moments where I should have been super excited. I kind of fulfilled a goal of Division I sports, but it was like not, like I wanted SEC, ACC. ACC. To me, I kind of failed a little bit. Um, but I went to CFC um, and worked hard, and that, between my freshman and sophomore year, my parents got a divorce, and then my sophomore year fall, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it was one of those, and the year before that, my freshman year, I became a Christian. That's the, the main point here. I became a Christian freshman year, in between freshman and sophomore year, my parents get a divorce, and my mom, the next semester, is diagnosed with breast cancer. And had, had those happened before I was a Christian, I'm not sure where I'd be today, um, maybe right here, um, but it would have been a very different story. Um, but through, if I wasn't at the College Trust and playing baseball, had I been in Virginia or Georgia like I really wanted to, I would have likely had a transfer um, just because my brother was far off, my dad was no longer in the picture, my mom couldn't do like regular tasks. Um, and so I spent a lot of time with my mom while playing baseball and going to school. I spent a lot of time here with her. And had I not had that issue with sophomore year and gotten hurt, I don't think I would have been at the College of Charleston. I also don't think I would have been able to take care of my mom the way that I was able to. I also wouldn't have met my wife, and I also would not have gotten my first job, which means I wouldn't have gotten the job I'm in now. And of course, it's the domino effect, but it is exactly, no, not exactly at all. It is similar with the same themes that you see in the Joseph story. I'll unpack that in a minute. So that's one story. This, how much time do I have? When do I, when do I need to cut off? Okay, good. Um, so story two, um, which is something. Um, speaking of so my job, so Andrew mentioned that uh, I went to India. So my, my, after graduation, my wife and I joined, um, well, we started working for Campus Outreach. It was a campus ministry um, where we would go into the College Charleston dorms, and, and uh, for me on the baseball team, after I graduated, I would go back and um, disciple uh, college students, do Bible studies. Uh, minister to college students. So basically it was like the church gave us the freedom to be the church in the school because they can't have their ministers go live in the dorms. Well, we could go live next to dorms and be there. So we were there 24-7. We loved it for our first year of marriage, and we were asked to lead this trip to Dehradun, India. And um, with Campus Outreach, uh, we're not employed by the church, although we're overseen by the church we had to raise all of our own income. 
and so we would essentially have people pay us, give us monthly donations as a, a way for us to pay the bills. People in this church uh, actually were a part of our support team and will be forever grateful. Um, but we were already like month to month not like either at the dollar amount or like not sure how we're going to pay, you know, for food next month kind of thing. Um, we never really got up to 100% of our support number. So we were asked to, to lead this trip to Dune of 12 college students. So we are in Dune and we are uh, building relationships with college students, learning the language, um, teaching some culture classes. And in the middle of the trip, I get an email that our largest supporter had lost their job. That was like 500 bucks a month for us, gone. So they lost their job, which effectively means we lost our job. Because making that, we already, weren't, we already weren't 100%. Support raising was not going well for us, which in this business kind of oftentimes means like, is this where God wants it kind of thing. And so we're in Dehradun, India, first year marriage. I've already told her father, I will take care of your daughter. And we are basically not going to have a job when we get home. Um, a little terrifying. And... The next day, I get an email from one of my former, well, one of my classmates from Porter Gaud and says, hey, there's this job that just opened up at Porter Gaud. I think you might be interested. And it was the middle school chaplain job. I had no idea what was going on. I checked and see what it is. Well, I'm not Episcopalian. I have no youth ministry. I did not go to school for ministry. In fact, I was a comm major. But yeah, I'll apply. I have no job. <laughs> it's happened within 24 hours. Why not? So I apply for the job. It's one of those things where now you look backwards and see. I'd kind of kept up with Brian McGreevy um, while I was in college. And um, he was the, the head chaplain at Porter Gout at the time. So I applied, interviewed while I was over there, and got the job when I got back in July, or I guess August it was. And um, again, I got that job and where I am today, and now my wife works for Porter God and my kids are there. And it, I'm going to unpack that again in a little bit, but that's kind of story number two. Story number three, um, one of my really good friends from high school um, was a little bit crazy, a lot of bit crazy, and went to a school and to college and was doing well, um, but found himself in lots of trouble his senior year, uh, end of junior year rather, and was, he was asked to not come back, but could get his diploma if he finished it somewhere else. One of those circumstances. Things were not good. Um, at the time, he was into lots of drinking, lots of drugs, uh, not a good scene. He got back to Charleston and was actually at the College of Charleston. And um, we kind of reconnected and I was quite different than the person he knew in high school. And so we started hanging out, and he was like, really, one of those people who are atheists, but like really wants to just like battle you, you know? They don't really care what your answer is. They just want to like make you look stupid. Um, and it was all the time. So whenever we talked, it always somehow got back to like, so tell me this whole Jesus thing. And then it got to like crusades always, or it got to like something ridiculous, and I'm like, I, trying to be patient. So I remember sending him 
um, some verses, and it was Jesus' parable of the seeds, and I said, you know, which seed do you think you are? Come prepared, let's talk about it. And it was in that moment in conversation where he realized that he was somebody who really got excited about things, kind of like the seed that falls on the rocks, you know, and it grows for a bit and then it gets withered and killed. And I'm like, well, what does that mean for you, like forever? And so we talked more and more and more, and over the next couple few weeks of this, these kinds of conversations, he became a Christian. And his whole life went for a whole new direction. He met his wife, his current wife now, they, they have one child, um, and he started teaching, um, and now he just recently started a really, really cool program for um, kids between senior year and college. And the, the trajectory of his life completely shifted and altered. He was 100% about himself and money and himself and money, and that was it. And now he's basically given everything up um, in hopes to impact kids. And um, again, started because he got kicked out of college um, and really almost arrested. So the theme hopefully is obvious by now. All three of those stories ended in one way, all because of three seemingly really bad circumstances. Me getting hurt, for me that was pretty traumatic for my kind of life, what I thought was gonna happen. Um, me losing a job, basically pretty traumatic. Um, and then for my buddy, him getting kicked out of school, college, pretty traumatic. But what we see through all three of those is God was not just like looking at those things, but was in those moments. All of those moments brought us out into a very different, unique way. Just like with Joseph. All, all of those scenarios, if you just take them by themselves, you, you could not look at those and say, yep, I definitely see God's in that. God really loves it when you hurt your shoulder and, you know, maybe ruin your career or whatever. Or job, God really, I see it, you lost your job, that's where God is. Like, no, usually we're like, where's God? How could he let this happen to me? We, we tend to look inward, like we deserve something more. We deserve whatever. And in the reality is, just like with Joseph, we deserve, well, nothing, really. And that God graces us and gifts us with so much. And my hope today is that, or at least what I've learned in my short time, is that we're always either going into some kind of storm, whether it's you personally or someone around you, you're coming out of some kind of storm, or you're kind of in the clear. <coughs> and so my hope for everyone in here is that if you are someone who's going through something, whether it's personal, um, that you will take courage in knowing that God is in the midst of it. And it may take 20 to 30 years to know that, and that can be challenging, or it could take two years or two months to look back and see exactly how God did all of those things to get you to here, wherever that is, or to take whoever's in your life is going through something to, 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 to take them all the way to get to this moment that is actually the best for them. And sometimes what's best for us and for them isn't exactly how we draw it up. But I know that if God answered all of the prayers that I've said in my short life as a Christian, I would be in way off, way worse, way worse off. He always knows what's best, even sometimes when it looks a little bit dicey.
Or if there's someone who is coming out of it, rejoice, share it. Share with other people, encourage it. Encourage other people with what you've gone through, how God's brought you out of it, how God's changed you, how that has impacted you, so that you can encourage the next person. And if you're in kind of the, life's kind of good right now, I would encourage you to ask your brothers and sisters in Christ and your friends what they're going through, because I can guarantee you someone's going through something. Um, everyone has a story, and it usually comes through difficulty and trial. And the whole iron sharpens iron thing is true, and sometimes we need people that, uh, that can tell us truth. One of my good friends in college said that we needed uh, cream, tre- cream cheese buddies. I'm like, That's a weird saying. Um, and he said, you need someone who can look at your face after you eat a bagel of cream cheese and say, yo, man, you got cream cheese on your face. And his point is, is that we can't see that, but we need people in our life that can tell us, hey, here's, here's truth. Here's the truth, and I know that sucks. I know that's terrible. I know whatever's happening. I can't actually understand it. But what I do know is, is that God says that he is with us. And at the end of Genesis 50, um, at the end of the story of Joseph, if you remember, Joseph's brothers are freaking out um, because they finally realize who Joseph is. And um, they now know that he knows what they did. And he's the most powerful man in the world, essentially. And so they are throwing themselves down and saying, please forgive us, please forgive us. And I'm going I'm to paraphrase here. Um, Joseph says, essentially, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. And it's always been, it's been something that stuck with me since I, the first time I've ever read that story. Because it's so easy to get caught up in the harm. And we either want to take revenge on people, and we want other people to get what they deserve, except we want forgiveness. But they get what they deserve, but we want forgiveness. It's always good to be reminded that, as Joseph says, am I in the place of God? Well, you meant for harm, he meant for good. And so whatever you're going through, whatever someone else is going through, be encouraged that God somehow has good in it. Thank you all.